Chapter one, take two. Do. Gravelbeard had done his best to loosen his bonds. He had thrashed around on the cave floor like a fish on dry land, rubbing his bound wrists against sharp stones and trying to get the knife in his pocket. It was no use. The rat had tied some very professional knots, so he lay there for hours on the hard, rocky floor like a sack of potatoes, grinding his teeth while thousands of wonderful stones glittered down at him in the dark, and he dreamed of tearing the spidery legs off that treacherous homunculus. When at long last he heard steps approaching... Gravelbeard expected to see the fat rat, or one of those hairy brownies coming back. But much to his surprise, it was Twigleg who emerged from the dark passage along which he himself had been dragged. That traitor Twigleg was still wearing Gravelbeard's hat. "'What are you doing here?' spat Gravelbeard, wriggling like an eel in his bonds. "'Come to question me, have you? Get out! Get back to your friends!' you can give me back my hat first, you revolting spider-legged traitor. Shut up, hissed Twigleg. He knelt down beside the dwarf and to Gravelbeard's terror took a knife out of his pocket. Help, shrieked the dwarf. Help, your goldness, he's going to murder me. Nonsense, Twigleg began sawing at Gravelbeard's bonds. Although, if you go on squirming like that, I may well accidentally cut off one of your fingers. And if you keep shouting, Sora will have you for breakfast. Gravelbeard closed his mouth again. Brownies don't eat dwarves, he growled. Oh, yes, they do sometimes, said Twiglet, cutting through the last knot. Once I even heard a brownie say that dwarves were nice and crunchy. Crunchy? Gravelbeard struggled up. He listened, only the eternal whispering of the stones. Twigleg handed him his backpack. Here are your things, and now let's get out of here. Get out of here? Dwarf looked suspiciously at the homunculus. What's the big idea? Is this comes some kind of trap? Don't be silly, his twig leg hauling the dwarf along him after him. You nearly ruined my wonderful plan, but even so, I'm not going to let the brownies get to you. Anyway, I need you as a messenger. What are you talking about? Reluctantly, the mountain dwarf followed twig leg down the dark passage. What plan? You cheated us. You sent Nettlebrand off to the desert. Do you know I spent days and days there digging him out of the hot sand, all thanks to you? Nonsense, whispered Twigleg. Pure rot. I'm not a traitor. I've been Nettlebrand's faithful armour cleaner for over three hundred years. Longer than you spent tapping away at your stones, you half-wit. You think I'd turn traitor just like that? No, it's all the raven's fault. Those ravens have been telling lies about me. They never did like me. But I'm the one who'll make sure Nettlebrand can go hunting again at long last. I, Twigleg, not those miserable birds with their crooked beaks. And you'll help me. I will? Dazed, Gravelbeard was stumbling along after him. How? What? Psst. Twigleg put a hand in front of his mouth. Not a squeak out of you now, understand? Gravelbeard nodded. And then his jaw dropped and his eyes popped, for they had reached the great cave. Never in his entire dwarfish life had Gravelbeard seen such wonders. The stones dazzled him, their voices sang in his ears, countless beautiful voices speaking in tones such as he had never heard before. When the homunculus dragged him roughly on, Gravelbeard woke as if from a dream that had held him spellbound. "'What's the matter? Planning to hang around here and turn to stone?' hissed Twigleg, dragging the dwarf on through the glittering heart of the mountain. 
He led Gravelbeard past the sleeping brownies, past the rat lying beside her plane and snoring, past the human boy who was curled up like a cat. Gravelbeard noticed none of them. He saw only the glowing moonstones. He followed the bright pattern they traced on the cave walls, and then he stumbled over the tail of a sleeping dragon. He stopped short and gasped. Two silver dragons lay before him, so close to one another that you could hardly tell where one ended and the other began. Two? He whispered to the monkeyless. Only two? Where are the others? In another cave, whispered Twigleg. Now do come on, or you don't want to be here when they wake up. Gravelbeard hastily stumbled on. How many are there? He whispered. Tell me, Twigleg. His goldness is sure to ask me. Twenty, hissed Twigleg over his shoulder. Maybe more. Come on. Twenty, murmured Gravelbeard, looking back once more at the sleeping dragons. That's a lot. The more the merrier, Twigleg whispered back. Bet you that's what he'll say. Yes, you're right. He certainly will. Gravelbeard nodded and tried to take his eyes off the stones, but with such marvel surrounding him he kept forgetting that he was escaping. Only when they had left the cavern behind was the spell broken. The homunculus guided him down a long tunnel that led upwards and ended in front of a great slab of stone. Gravelbeard looked round, confused, but without a word Twigleg led him out through a narrow side passage. The moon was already in the sky. A last streak of sunset light was fading beyond the white peaks. The lake where Nettlebrand lurked lay dark among the mountains, with raven circling above its waters. Here's your hat. Twigleg put the hat on the mountain dwarf's shaggy hair. Will you be able to find your way back here on your own? Gravelbeard looked round and nodded. Of course, he replied. Wonderful stones. I've never seen anything like them. Unique. If you say so, Twigleg shrugged his shoulders and pointed to the rock on their left. This is the stone slab you just saw from the inside. It swings open when the dragon pushes it, so it shouldn't be any problem for our master to get into the mountain, and the tunnel on the other side is wide enough even for him. Rather stupid of those brownies to make it that big, eh? He chuckled gleefully. He'll want me to polish him up before the great hunt. Gravelbird put the backpack over his shoulders. And he's all muddy now, so don't expect him any back any time soon. The monculus nodded and gave the dwarf a strange look. Mind you polish him up better than ever before, he said. This will be his greatest hunt in over a hundred years. Yes, I know. Gravelbeard began his downward climb. I wish the hunt were over and I had my reward at last. He's promised me two of his scales for my services. Has he indeed? Two whole scales, murmured Twigleg as the dwarf climbed down. What generosity! The homunculus stood there a moment or so longer, watching Nettlebrand's new armour cleaner go on his way. And then the cold of the night drove him back into the mountain. Kia ora! Kia ora. Hey everyone, welcome to Chapter 1, Take 2, the podcast where we read the book, watch the film and discuss the adaptation. My name is Maddie. I'm Brianna. And this week we are covering Dragon Rider. Dragon Rider. Get up here, you big lump. No one must know there are dragons in the valley. <laughs> Fire, Drake. Stay out of trouble. What was that? <gasps> Humans. I've always told you, they're the worst. What will they do when they find us? The rim of heaven, huh? <laughs> Originally written in 1997 by Cornelia Funk. Or as I like to say, Funke. Because we have... I know it's incorrect. I'm sorry. I just think it's fun. We have previously covered um, Inkheart by Cornelia Funk. What? And Cornelia Funk 
wrote the introduction to the edition of The, the Wizard, Wizard of, of Oz, Oz that we read. That is very true, very true. I enjoyed her. Well, we'll obviously get more into that. What I always wonder with books like this is because Cornelia Funk is German. And so we are reading or hearing the English translations of her works. And I can't help but wonder what has changed because a lot of the time... As we've, as Brianna has been telling me recently, depending on who is the translator, you get their own perspective on the works. Yeah. Well, I mean, share your share your fact about Homer. About Homer. Oh, good. Well, um, I recently was made aware of this edition by Emily Wilson, who's a classicist of Homer's The Iliad and the Odyssey, and it is the first edition to be translated entirely by a woman. And evidently, um, a lot of the previous translations have unnecessary misogynistic spins on the words what never um used uh because they're being perceived from a misogynistic lens because they were almost all entirely translated by men yeah uh so not surprising um some examples were were one of the words to describe penelope's hands is thick it's they're described as thick hands and um i think what the men described it as is um, weathered because it's not right for women to have thick, muscular hands uh, in their perspectives. Or when they're talking about some of the girls that um, um, are slept with by people. I can't remember the story really well. Um, instead of calling them what they are, which are slaves, uh, they're referred to... And, 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 and girls, they're referred to as like... Slutty women, essentially slutty housemaids, but they're they're slaves. They're enslaved young girls um, who've been raped and all get murdered uh, because they were raped and defiled. Quite dark. We live in a terrible world. Uh... It's quite an old piece of work, and um, a lot of the translations are quite old. So it's really nice that Emily Wilson has had this translation and she's been able to translate it in a more truthful way. But then she does own up to the fact that every translator puts some of themselves into their work. Yeah. Well. Speaking of that, like Olivia, oh, sorry, Oliver Latch translated this in 2000, and then Athena Bell translated it in 2004. I'm not There's sh- probably a few editions. Yeah, I'm not Might sure. I listened to the audiobook narrated by Brendan Fraser, which was its own experience. Mm. Um, I could picture his face very, very clearly. And I think the transition of him as an actor uh, has been really interesting from going from The Mummy. To his acting in Inkheart and then narrating the this. Everyone loves the mummy. So good. But I, I, I quite like Brendan Fraser. He's got a real vibe about him as a, as an actor. Yeah, we talked about this in Inkheart, like the monkey bone stuff, uh, which you haven't seen, but it's very sexual and it's got Paige from Charmed in it. And uh, we like George of the Jungle. George yep. of the Jungle is a classic. Um, why do you want to read that section of the book, Brianna? I think that Twigleg is the best character. Oh, yes? Yeah. Because he's the most interesting? Yeah, he's the only one with a story arc. He literally is. He's the only character who grows. Yeah. Spoilers, just as a warning. Um, Actually, a few updates. A few notes. A few bullet points before we dive in. Um, Chapter 1, Take 2 now has a Patreon. So if you have a spare dollar or two... That'd be amazing if you could head over to that page. Um, thank you so much. If you are in Christchurch, uh, Otatahi, New Zealand, on the 11th of March at 8.30pm, we will 
be doing a live podcast uh, show recording with special guest Ray Shipley um, as part of Christchurch Pride Week. You can head over to Little Andromeda Theatre and buy tickets there. Um, there was something else that I wanted to say, and I can't remember what it is, so it must not have been important. We'll circle back to it. Great. Uh, you were going to say something? No. Awesome. Um, do you want to give those who have not read the book or watched the recent uh, 2020-2021 Dragon Rider film, give them a quick summary of what the storyline is? Um, okay, so there's a dragon, his name is Fire Drake, and yep. there's a brownie, and her name is Sorrel. Yep. Sorrel! And they live in a valley somewhere in the UK, presumably. They find out that the humans are going to flood their valley, and the dragons have to relocate again. They've been hiding from humans for a long time, but they've also been hiding from the Golden One. And Fire Drake is told by one of the older dragons that there exists, or there's a, a legend of this place called the Realm of Heavens, located the rim of heaven located somewhere in the himalayas and that's like a paradise a safe space for dragons that's um outside of the eyes of humans but also the golden one and so fire drake and sorrel set off to find it and on the way they pick up a boy called ben Mm. and he is an orphan he has no family and he goes on the adventure with them they meet a lot of characters they also meet a professor professor greenbloom and a draconologist Draconologist? Something Dragon- like that. Dragonologist is basically what they're saying. Called Zubrida? Yep, sure. Zubida. It's okay. Zubida. Um, and uh, they team up with a rat. They team up with a serpent at one point. A they whole gang of friends! die from a basilisk uh, before finding the Room of Heaven and defeating the Golden One. Um, or they meet up with a homunculus, Twigleg, yep. who's my favorite character, um, uh, before defeating the Golden One in a very anticlimactic battle. Um, so anticlimactic. And then uh, Fire Drake gets all the dragons back. This is apparently part of a series, but I'm not exactly sure how it's a part of a series because Fire Drake gets all of the dragons back. At the yeah, end it's of all the wrapped book. up. It's very wrapped up. Um, so I'm not sure what the next thing is. Maybe it's talking about their adventure getting to the, the Room of Heaven with a whole bunch of dragons. But um, And then Ben goes to live with Professor Greenbloom, his wife, and his daughter, who's smarter than his and then her father, so. Yeah, and yet she she isn't believed when she spots Nettlebrand, who's the golden one, and he's like, oh, you're just hallucinating. Yeah. Is she? Yeah, I, I like, we'll talk about that, but I would have preferred in the book if, um, and, like, she was trying to make a point about how you should always believe children because they usually tell the truth about these kinds of things. Um, but I, I think the point would have been better made if she just had the dad go, well, children are usually right, so I'm going to trust you. Yeah. That would have been better. Yeah. Because she was right. Um, yeah, first impressions. I hadn't seen the trailer for this film. I Neither. Thought the, I saw the poster, though. I thought the book was pretty average, if not less than average. Obviously, I can understand how people would have a nostalgia for it if they'd read it as, like, a seven to nine-year-old. And that definitely is the group that it's... A, well, Brie and I were talking about this before, which I totally agree with. It's a bit long for that age group because... It's about... Um, I guess it's in its original edition, it was about 500 pages. Yeah, but it's kind of like... 400. Yeah, it's not quite for that younger group, but it's not quite Harry Potter type of thing. So it's... I guess, I feel like if I had found it before Harry Potter and then moved on to Harry Potter, yeah. I would like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I liked... Um... What were your first impressions? What did you think the film was going to be? I, I thought it was going to be pretty bad, but I mean, I love 
fantasy. I love magic. I literally get upset in real life because I'm sad that magic isn't something that I get to interact with. I am so ready to just be entertained by something, and but I just get so frustrated with shit like this. Like, it's so fucking bad. And we read a few articles about it and reviews, and it was so true what someone said that it is disappointing that things like this are still being made as though it's just going to be accepted that it's crap when there's so many better things out there. Yeah. Yeah. Like so many children and adults have so much choice for there's good a quality fantasy of content yeah. right now. Even like, just you, in just in fantasy. You got to work harder to make yourself. Absolutely. No. Um I thought it was going to be bad. I didn't I kind of I think I heard titterings a bit that it titterings. was bad, but I I didn't like actually go looking for reviews before the film. What made me think it was going to be bad was just the poster design. I thought was <laughs> uninspired and derivative. Oh, absolutely. It's just them um, riding towards the screen. And there's an aeroplane in the background. And I guess New York is what they're referencing, even though this film was made in Germany. Um, and they're just flying over Why some Why do you clouds. think it's referencing New York? I feel like the city that they go to in the book is New York, isn't it? Like, that's New York down there. They go to the big city. I always thought it was London. But I guess none of them have British accents. No, I thought it was America. Brendan Fraser is American. Yeah, but Brendan Fraser is the narrator of the book. I mean, it doesn't matter. Cornelia Funk is from Germany. I know. So I feel like it's probably London in the book. All right. I don't know. Who cares? Hmm. It's a big city. Especially considering they emphasize the river going through the city and there's a lot of water in London. There's a lot of water in New York. Well, there's a lot of ocean water. But there's also like the Manhattan thing and there's all that water... Between the islands. It's, I Which mean, is ocean water. It doesn't, yeah, I know it is, but I'm just, like, it, we just had different ideas in our minds All of right. where we were. That's fine. Um, yeah, the director was um, this guy called Toma Isht, and this is his first feature film. He's got four director credits. All the other three are shorts. Um, the last one was a short man in 2016, and so Dragon Rider was his first feature film. Rough, rough break, Matt. <laughs> well... I don't understand. I don't understand. He was given the money, and it's like, yeah, just do this thing. I don't know. Women don't get those opportunities. Uh, but I don't know how much directors have a say in story. Are they not given a script? I don't know. I feel like you could just say no. You're like, this is bad. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so, tell us about who's in this film. Yeah, alright, we'll do Maddie's facts. Um, we keep bringing up Brendan Fraser. He's not actually in the film. No, but he is an inkart. He's an inkart, and he did narrate the book, but he's not in the film. He's not in the film. He did a great narration. I saw one bad review of his narration, and I was like, you have no soul. You have no soul. I loved his narration. He has no soul. Yeah. What a comment. Well, he was like, he's just, he, 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 he his voice was too excited. He put in too much energy, and I was like, that is totally the vibe. Like this, he like, was very, melodramatic. It was appropriate. Yeah. It was very appropriate. Anyway, um... It was produced by Constantin Film uh, in Germany. The original release date was the 15th of October 2020 in Germany. Obviously, we're in New Zealand, Aotearoa. Um, we just saw it today, which is the 13th of February, the day before Valentine's Day. You don't you don't have to do anything for Valentine's Day, just so you know. Are we doing anything? I'm going to kiss you in the morning when we wake up. Yeah. Do things every day that's nice for your partner. Don't yeah. just do it on one day. You don't have to buy them anything. It's not... Well, whatever. Do, do what you need to do to be happy. Um, the budget was 15 million euros. What a waste. What a trash waste of 15 million euros. 
It's a lot. We're doing it. We're in a pandemic at the moment. What a waste of money. Well, I mean, that this movie would have been in production for a few years. I'm still angry about it. Okay. Cumulative worldwide gross is six million. I'm amazed that it's that much. But obviously, it hasn't been successful at all. Um, the ratings and that fun stuff. Well, do you know what it has? 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb. That's high. I didn't see what it has on um, Rotten Tomatoes, but I did see on IMDb. Where is it? Lost it. Rotten Tomatoes. For some reason, it says 2019. 71%? 71%? Ugh, oh, totally disagree. Certifiably fresh. Whatever. Disgusting. There are some really famous people doing the voices in yeah. this. Um, Thomas Brody, Sangster, is Fire Drake. They they did Fire Drake dirty in this film. And even in the book, he is the most passive dragon I've ever, ever interacted with uh, via a medium. I didn't like it. Um, Felicity Jones is Sorrel. She's the chick from Rogue One, the Star yeah. Wars. Yep. Um, Freddie Highmore is Ben. Patrick Stewart is Nettlebrand. I guess they just have a lot of time on their hands. These are all very famous people. Uh, Nanso Anozi is um, the Mighty Jin, which they they also I don't know what vibe they were going for with the genie. Um, Mir Sayal is Sabisha Gulab, and Sajiv Bashkar is the Mad Dog. I would say Mira Sial. And Sanjeev Bashka. Yeah. Baksha. Very racist portrayals. Yeah, I didn't I didn't enjoy it. Didn't appreciate it. It was that very caricature-y. Yes. Yes, it was. I mean that's normally all the things that I cover. Very surprised at those high ratings. It's not it's not it's not a five point six. It's not a seventy one percent. It's not. No. It's it's Free and I, I can't believe it's even in the realm of how to train your dragon. No, not how at all. How to train your dragon is so good. This is Top five worst films I've ever seen. It was so boring. I, yeah, I just didn't engage with it. There was nothing interesting or new. It was just, it was derivative in every way. Yeah, absolutely derivative. I okay. I, I really hated the design of the animation. Um, at the beginning, they do this cool thing. Yeah, I thought the, I, I said the opening animation is beautiful. That was one of the notes that I put down. I yeah, the opening animation. I was like, I would watch a whole film like this. Why are you giving me this stupid thing that looks like it's been like... I don't know if I'd watch a whole film like that. I'd watch that, a 30-minute film. Yeah, I would watch a short film like that. It's when it's, it's like what they do with the um, Deathly Hollows in Harry Potter. Yeah, I love animation that like that. I love it. I thought that was a great opening sequence. Yeah, um, the opening sequence does not indicate the rest of the quality of the film. It kind of made me have a, res- a revelation that I think that it's possible that Cornelia Funk either... Uh, Consciously or subconsciously, met nettle brand as a representation of mindless human consumption. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like uh, the kind of old-fashioned tale, like not all that glitters is gold, or like the Midas touch, like the gluttony of gold. You know, all that stuff. Yeah, well, I guess just in the sense that, like, um, it's kind of brought up a few times how he's trying to draw out the battle with the dragons because. Um, He's going to he's going to make them go extinct, and then he won't have the one thing that he desires, which is to hunt them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, should we talk about the main changes between the book and the film? Um, okay. What do you no? What do you sorry? What do you want to do? Everything. Okay. Well, rate it. Um, how do, how would you rate this as an adaptation? <laughs> Two. Yeah. Like basically, 
they have a dragon and they have a brownie and a boy and a homunculus. Um, I'm going to give it a three. And they're called the same names. Because the, the framework is there. Yeah, that's fine. Um, and the characters, the, all the main characters make it into the film. But they didn't have any rats. There were no rats. No rats. The ravens were... They didn't have any monks. There. They didn't go to nearly... Like, what I don't understand is when you, especially when you animate, you have literal free reign. Like, the only thing limiting you is your human imagination. Yeah. And you even have a book that is like, hey, this is more interesting than real life. I mean, like the, I wanted to see the big, like the uh, the professor's like, hey, watch out for the sea serpent. I'm like, I wanted to see the sea serpent. Just because you say it doesn't mean I'm not going to be like, oh, I'm not disappointed now that it's not in the film. I felt like, yeah, I felt like, yeah, thank you. I, because Lord of the Rings is yes. an adventure story in the sense that the the plot is the adventure. They go from point A to point B. Yeah, Hero's journey the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And that's what this is. It's an adventure story. They go from part A to plot to point B. They yes. stop off a lot. They have lots of adventures. There's a montage. Yeah. And I knew they were going to do a montage. Yeah. But I didn't feel like a montage was necessary. There's so much that happens in the book that they could have definitely... They could have just covered off the things in yeah. the book. And so I felt like them adding in things like the dragons being compelled to go to war with the humans. Yeah, it was so well, unnecessary. Was a waste of screen time. Yeah. The opening sequence took way too long. The way that I would have opened it is like dark storm because it's raining in the beginning. Mm. Uh, fire drink lands with Sorrel on his back in a circle, like a meeting of dragons. Says the humans are coming, um, and they within a five minutes decide that they're going to go into hiding. And fire drinks like I'm going to find the room of, room of heaven, like within less than five minutes, and yeah, then absolutely. And, and very quickly. They're like, they're like, okay, we better go now because the moon's up, um, and we got it. And then the rat, their rat friend's like, wait, wait, I have a cousin. And then they go to find the map, and that's how I would have opened it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They completely. Um, and then I would have cut immediately to them landing in London. Yeah, they completely, completely ignored the fact that dragons only fly at night without the help of the moonflower. Like they sleep at night instead, and, and they, they sleep at day. They're supposed to sleep at the day, but yeah. in the film, they sleep at nighttime. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. That's, that's right. And um, they don't reference how dragons live on moonlight, and so that's why you never see them eating. Um, there's like It's literally a completely different world. Sorrel's humour comes so much from the fact that she's always hungry, and I really enjoyed her portrayal as a brownie because she's not affectionate, not nurturing, not amenable, um, and she's always hungry. Yeah. And I really like that. Like, she's only affectionate to Fire Drake. It's the only person she looks after. Yeah, absolutely. We, we did talk about how, like... What was the other dragon's name? I don't even remember. Maya. Maya, yeah. Um, the girl dragon. Yeah, the girl, like... The girl brownie. The, yeah, the girl... It's a girl dragon and a girl brownie, a she brownie, a she dragon. But, like, <sighs> if you're male, it's just dragon. It's just, just Bean. Yeah, it's just Bean. But even though there's, in the world, a higher percentage of women than men, but because we always hear the narrative from the male perspective, and I don't know if this is a translator thing, I don't know if Cornelia Funk wrote it that way, um, yeah. but it's so fucking frustrating and so fucking old-fashioned. Like, it's a girl brownie. Like, if you want to differentiate between... A boy brownie and a girl brownie. Just say their fucking names. Just say Sorrel. Just say Ben. Just say Fire Drake. Just say Maya. We know who you're referring to. You don't have to differentiate them by gender. Yeah, we'll catch on with the pronouns. Yes. Yeah. And also their name. Yeah. But yes, absolutely. But also, like, 
all the other dragons are like Nettlebrand, Fire Drake, Slightbeard. Yeah. Or whatever the other one is. Yeah, it's not Boy Fire Drake. Boy and then, Dragon. And then Maya's name is Maya. Maya. Why is her name not like Silver Scales? Because she's not important. She's just there so Fire Drake's not alone. Even like something like, you know, Butterfly. Just to have the naming structure continue. Well, she should have been called something like Moonchaser. Because yeah. the reason she didn't freeze in the book, like the rest of the dragons who um, petrified and turned to stone, is because she kept going out at night. Even And even though Nettlebrand could have still been out there, she was brave. And so she should have had a cool, cool name. Like, yeah. I thought that was weird. Um, that was probably weird. probably I don't remember her name. Yeah. Uh, what Meyer, else did they Meyer is... Yeah, they took all the magic out. Twigleg doesn't communicate with uh, Nettlebrand via water. Yeah, they tried to make it all, like, technology and funny. Like, how do I contact you? Oh, Skype me. Oh, how am I going to distract Nettlebrand when he's about to murder the main characters? Oh, I'm going to create a fake date for him on the profile page. Yeah. What the fuck was that? The, what oh, the fuck was that? And, I mean, Skype is so outdated. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. And Nettlebrand... FaceTime yes, would have been much better. Yeah. While he was made... He's not, like, a metal robot. It's magic. He was made by an alchemist, not a mechanic. Yeah. And so he doesn't need to travel around in a submarine. His, he is a frog that has been made into a dragon. Yeah, and he has special water powers. Yes, that's how he can get around so fast even though he can't fly. Yeah. They, placed, they removed all the magic. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, so we'll go through... <laughs> Mary's really upset right now. I just... It's so easy to entertain me with fantasy. Yeah. Like, I love fantasy. It is my spirit. Yeah. But you just, like, I don't know. Adults seem to make these films and they're like, I don't know how to have fun anymore. Children are dumb. Children are dumb. They don't want a story that's cohesive or engaging in the slightest. I mean, slightest. but the thing, the story was cohesive. And, I mean, it wasn't inspired and it wasn't the it was animation boring. wasn't inspired that i thought the design of the dragons was boring and monotonous well there's nothing to engage me it's not like like dragon rider sorry how to train your dragon there's moments like of sadness and you disappointing your parents yeah. and like where's his mum? oh she's dead and like the... she got killed by dragons which is the reason that his dad hates dragons so much oh plot twist in the movies later she didn't die like that's interesting yeah and I, okay, I just, if I never see a movie featuring a child whose parents have died in a car crash again, it will be too soon. Yep. There's so many. That narrative, that particular narrative device is so tired. Absolutely. And it's not even, we don't even hear about that in the story. Like, we don't know why Ben's parents are dead in the book. And that is fine. The fact that they are not there is the point. Yeah. It doesn't matter how they died. It doesn't matter. It's nothing to do with the magical world. They're just dead. Maybe they abandoned him. We don't know. It makes it more interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's more interesting than we don't know because it's not relevant. It's not relevant. I wish we did know more about Ben's character in the book because I feel like, you know... Um, He's in... very quick to be comfortable with dragons. Yeah. In the some of the reviews of the book that I read... It was just like Ben and Fire Drake both are quite neutral characters. They're very easy to get behind. You don't know a lot about them and they seem to have a neutral opinion on most things. They're not yes. opinioned in any way. Yeah. And both of them are welcoming and easily duped. And But I feel like Fire Drake in the book is at least a bit more stoic than the Fire Drake in the movie. 
Oh yeah, the, in the it's, movie it's he's completely totally different. Yeah, he's a he's a bubble dragon. He's like I'm round and everything is fine. And oh come on, Sorrel, don't fight with Ben. Even even like there's no build up to him being insecure about the fact that he can't blow fire. That doesn't happen in the opening sequence. And then there's no real significant build up to when he learns to blow fire. Do we find out why he knows how to... No, and do we find out why his fire is different from other dragons' fire? That's referenced no. at the beginning of the film. Oh, um, Nettlebrand's armor is impervious to dragon flame. But no, not fire drakes. His not... fire is special. Because it's blue. Because... Because it's because it's a chosen it is. one thing. Yeah, because exactly. he's part of a yeah. Thing. What a what a fucking trope! Like what a scapegoat! Like oh, don't have it like what we did in the book, where there's like an actual chemical reaction, which is really nice because it shows that he couldn't have done it without his friends. Yeah, exactly. Which is the point. Yeah, that's the point. It's um, so frustrating. Uh, and I just felt yeah. But what I was saying was, um, what was I talking about? I don't know, Shelley. So many points to say. So, anyway, what I was saying was, in some of the books, they talk about how neutral those characters are. In some of the reviews that I read, they talk about how neutral Ben and Firedrake are. And that that's done. That could be have been done on purpose to allow young children to, you know, put themselves in the story a little bit easier and, like, self-identify um, and kind of translate themselves, their own personality onto the characters because they're, they don't really have a strong personality character. I personally don't feel like that's necessary and I and I think if that's a technique that writers use, get rid of it because I didn't. Is it is it a technique? I've never heard of that. I I haven't either, but I I'm like weird because I I went from basically reading young 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 chapter books like Junie B Jones uh, straight to reading kind of more young adult books. Like mm. I I really skipped quite a lot in the middle. I did read. I got holes read to me, um, and I went through a Jerry Spinelli phase. But apart from that, like. Mm. because I got put into advanced space English, I kind of got cut from where this this would have fit into my life. Yeah, but is it a really useful technique? Like Lyra Silvertongue, um, Hermione Granger... Like, Percy Jackson. They have strong personality. They make strong choices, and they're successful franchises that people relate to. And even if I don't relate to. relate to those characters specifically, I still find them interesting to know about. Yeah. Like, I don't have to see myself in every character in order to enjoy a book. Exactly. You shouldn't have to be the main character for you to be... That's so narcissistic for that to be the only way that you can enjoy a story. Apparently this book is quite beloved. I haven't found a lot of evidence uh, about that. The reviews... Maybe it is in Germany. ...on um, Goodreads about, like, 30% of five, 30% of four, and then, like, 25% of three and below. Or 25% of three below, and then it goes down again. Um... Very few people really hated the book. I can see how if I had picked this book up before Harry Potter, I would have liked it. Um, even though there's very limited character development, I do enjoy the world of, yeah. of the, the the story. Magic's fun. Magic is fun. The, the one problem that I do have is like there was a reviewer that I couldn't find a lot of information on this book because I, I don't think it was that popular and nobody cares about the film. There weren't that many reviews and there wasn't anyone talking about the racist caricatures mm. in it which i was surprised like not surprised but surprised about but the reviewer he talked about how formulaic it is like there's never any tension in the film or the book yeah it just like it just happens yeah every time they do something you know they're gonna get out of it yeah everything will be fine all, almost all the fun um interesting characters 
occurrences, the rock bird and stuff like that happen in a bit of a montage. Mm. Um, we were in this massive cinema when we saw it just now, and this cinema probably seats over 300 people, and there were five other people in the movies. If not 500, like it was quite a large cinema. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. And it's just so bizarre that it's like, uh, 15 million euros and this is what you got? Yeah. Really? I also, like, why are we wasting time learning, meeting characters like Sorrel's parents that have nothing to do with the plot of the movie? Like, what a waste of animators' time. Like, if I animated as part of this film and then you watched it and you didn't really have any idea about the story, you'd be like, you made me do this? Yeah. You made me do this? I just, I feel like it's not actually that hard to look at. Like, I definitely don't think you could make it to every location as they do in the book. The Basilisk was quite dangerous, and it was interesting. It was interesting finding out about how um, magical character creatures are attracted to each other. Yeah. And the djinn was quite interesting. And Yeah, it was. And not everything you meet has to be evil, but also it can be more complicated. Like, yeah, exactly. The Basilisk was actually quite scary, and it doesn't get saved and taken off to some sort of rescue farm by the Doctor. It gets, yeah. assi- and it gets petrified by itself and disintegrates into dust. Yeah. And that is fine. It can die. And the djinn isn't evil for no reason. Like, it it completely changes so many of the characters' motivations and actual personalities. Like, the reason the djinn answers the question that Ben asks in the book is because the djinn's like, you're not asking this question for yourself, are you? It's for your friends. And because you are being self selfless, excuse me, um, here's the answer. Good luck. Hope you have a safe journey. Do you, okay. Do you think I... Two things. So there are two ways that I would have made this this film change. Because they change Ben's character. They make him a thief. Yeah. They and they him, make him a teenager. And they, Yeah. And they make him kind a, of like... A reluctant hero. Yeah. And it's not very good. It's, it's not it's very, very tropey. Yes. Um, there are two ways that I think this the, the, book, the film could have improved from the book that they didn't do. So number one, they could have told the story from Twiglegs' perspective. Cool. You don't get any of the character arc... In, in the film that Twiglug has. No. We don't get him falling in love with Ben. Not like romantic love, but like really totally attached to him. Yes. Um, and, you know, that being the driving force and we don't get any of that. But telling it from Twiglug's perspective or making him more of a main character would have been the way that I would have done this. Like, in fact, yeah, you could have told the whole story from Twiglug's perspective. Like, Absolutely. Um, his story is more interesting. So that's what one of the things I would have done. And I think you still could have included quite a bit. I like that. Uh, without uh, you, you were you were going to upset fans, but I think it's fine. Like I just, think I thought that would have been, been more unique, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing that I think would have made the been would have been an improvement upon the book is if Ben wanted to find his family, um... and if he was already somebody who was interested in the fantastical world. And spend mm-hmm. a lot of time in the library, like, researching it and stuff like that. And yeah. so he decides to try and journey, or he, uh, like, to find the djinn. Yeah. And ask where his parents are, or if, they, if they're alive, or whatever. Um, and then on the way, he meets Fire Drake and Sorrel, and they're going to the djinn as well. Yeah. Um, because the rat, or whoever, directs them to it. And yeah. then Ben has to make the decision... Do I ask my question? Because yep. they find out that only the human can ask the question. He can only ask one question. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, Ben decides to ask the question for the dragon. And, like, it's about him accepting the past and moving on. And on the way, he meets 
you know, the professor and stuff like that. And mm. then that would be maybe like the first big climax and then there would be more climaxes yeah. going forward. That sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah, the Like the- I just think that would have been a more interesting version of the story. I agree. I think those both sound like really good ideas. Because the book is already so minimally, uh, has had such minimal conflict in it. And then the film has even less conflict. Like, in the book, Twigleg and Sorrel get captured by other humans. And they're imprisoned for a while. Um, And that doesn't happen at all. Like, a bunch of characters are cut, but then a bunch of characters are added in. And I, I don't know. It's just so weird. Yeah. Yeah. I really missed getting to learn about the world of the creatures and like learning about how to attract the fairies and um, the sand thingies. And um, I, I, I just, I was, I was disappointed. They seemed to lose all the interesting elements of the book. Yeah. They've removed a lot of the magic for some bizarre reason. Yeah. Like we have magical creatures, but in a technological world for some reason, the weird steampunk submarine. Yeah. Um, just didn't do anything for me. And I missed the final battle. And I missed the ravens. Yeah. Like, I missed the plan, the deception, Twig like grow like that's why I read that chapter. It's like Twig like stands up for himself and, and and actively puts himself in harm's way. Yeah. Uh to help his new friends. Yeah. Also, like on the cover of this book, there's Ben riding Fire Drake and it says Dragon Rider above it. Ben isn't the dragon rider. Sorrel is. She has been riding Fire Drake the whole time. Like, because of some unknown reason, the only time that the dragons can be saved is when there's a human riding a dragon. Not Sorrel. Yeah. Which is weird as well, yeah. And there was... There was there were the female characters in this book. There was uh, the draconologist, sure. Um, the daughter. The daughter, the wife... Um, of the professor and Sorrel and, Sorrel and the female dragon. And that's it. Like, the dwarf is male. Um, both Nettlebrand and Firedrake are male. Um, Twigleg is male. Ben is male. The professor is male. Um, there's a different professor that's male. Um, it's, the new Sorrel, the new brownie is male. The new brownie is male. The first dragon they released from the stone is male. The sea serpent is a female. They're both- I feel like there's not a terrible balance of female to male ratio in terms of characters no there isn't how much a um time their their stories take up yeah i would say um apparently on the back this book in three words friendship adventure dragons try it read page 54 i'm just curious oh yeah what's 54 let's read it together team the dragon spread his shimmering wings and took off holding his breath ben clung tight to the spines of fire drake's crest the dragon rose higher and higher they left the noise of the city behind night enfolded them in darkness and silence and soon the world of men was no more than a glitter of lights far below well how do you like it sorrel called to ben when they had been flying for some time do you feel sick sick ben looked down to where roads wound through the darkness like gleaming snail trails it's wonderful it's oh i can't describe it Personally, I always feel sick to start with, said Sorrel. The only thing that helps is eating. Take a look in my backpack and hand me a mushroom, will you? One of the little black ones. Ben did as he was asked and then looked down again. The wind was roaring in his ears. Wonderful, said Sorrel, smacking her lips. A following wind. This way we'll be in the mountains before daybreak, Fire Drake. 
The dragon turned his head to hear. Time to turn west, Sorrel called. Eastward! Ho! Time to turn east. Eastward ho! What already? Ben looked over her shoulder. Sorrel had the rat's map on her lap and was tracing the golden line with her finger. But we haven't reached the right place yet, cried Ben. We can't have! Putting his hand in his jacket pocket, he brought out a little compass. His torch, his penknife, and his compass were his chief treasures. We have to go further south first, Sorrel, he called. It's too soon to change course yet. No, it's not. The brownie patted her stomach happily and leaned back against the spines of Fire Drake Crest. Here, see for yourself, clicker clogs, clever clogs. That's, that's page 54. Apparently that encapsulates friendship, adventure, and dragons. I guess... Uh, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's. I guess it is a good, like, starter page if you're trying to find out if you want to get into it. Yeah. So neutral. I don't know. We've kind of. How would you rate the film as a film? Lower or higher than your rating as an adaptation? I mean, I would just say two again. Like, I didn't leave the cinema, but I don't ever want to watch it again. Yeah. One. Yeah. Like I, I'm it's really the lowest, disappointed in it's it. It's the lowest rating you've ever given anything, Brianna. I, you've never given anything a one before. Do you know that? I yeah, I I do. I'm usually kinder. You are. It's not often that I rate things higher than you do. The reason I would say that is because it wasn't particularly even beautiful. No. Like the design was so basic. It wasn't visually interesting to watch. Like just looking at the dragons. In the book, I'm pretty sure all the other dragons are silver, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, that's the whole point. Is all the other dragons are silver and there's one gold one. Yeah, he's just gold because he was made movie, rather than born. The rest of Fire Drake's clan or whatever. They're all different, different colours. There's red and yellow and, and the grey. And the reason they did that is because if they hadn't, then they would have had to do more interesting animation design of the dragons. And yeah. that would be more varied and take more time. Instead, this one can be this red and skinny and this one can be blue and fat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. See, it's like they but they all look the same. So unimagined. There's no character uh, characterization done in the um, animation. Like I really didn't like it. Yeah. Did you have any other notes from when we watched it in the cinema that you wanted to tell us about? Um, I really. So I like... We didn't talk about how like they they mention like they they obviously reference how to train your dragon with movie. Oh yeah called How to Tame Your Dragon. Yeah. Um, which is weird. Like, a lot of reviews pointed out, like, it's weird they do attend to do a film that is so, so clearly better. superior. Yeah. In every way. 100%. Um, and even the character, de- like, the character design, I think is really similar to um, Hiccup. And Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like, the animation style is very similar to How yeah. to Train a Your Dragon. scruffy teenager. And the poster design is very similar to How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah. Uh, but it's not How to Train Your Dragon. It's not... It's not at all. Is How to Train Your Dragon a book? It's not. Yes, it is. But it's like, it's like Shrek, so it's a children's book that's it's been expanded upon. How to Train Your Dragon. Oh. Uh... Like the book that Hiccup writes, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. I think it's just like a pathetic, pale attempt to piggyback off the success of How to Train Your Dragon, but it lacks like the heart and emotion and yeah. character depth. And the and grit. world building. Yeah, and grit yeah. that's present in How to Train Your Dragon. So I really yeah. just... Things need to be messy. Yeah. And it's good. Like, I feel like at least some of the other films were visually interesting or they took risks. Even the book has a bit more... I never smiled in the whole film. You look so downtrodden. You were just just like, like, what the fuck? We paid money for this. Not even a giggle. The jokes, like the internet joke 
was just like so unimagined and the part where the um, dwarf comes out dressed as like a a, a, rest, a, a Mexican wrestler, wrestler was so unimagined. Even the pictures, the illustrations in the novel are better than what we got in this 15 million euro film. Yeah. Like, where was the kind of danger by kind of being followed by the raven and like kind of knowing that if you look over your shoulder, no one will be there, but you are being watched. Like, we like, ugh, stop. This is like when we bubble wrap children, like, eh, I can't watch anything. Like, oh my God, the slightest conflict will kill them. Like, wouldn't it have been cool for them to be flying over the ocean and then all of a sudden there's an eclipse and Fire Drake is falling towards the ocean because he can only fly at night. And then as they get closer, they realize they can see an island, but the island seems to be moving and they land on it and they slowly... That was one of my favorite parts of the story. Me too. And they, like, imagine this, like you're in the film and then they slowly realize, like, there's a, a squishy noise and the texture of the island doesn't seem quite right, but they're not sure why. And then it starts to rumble like there's an earthquake. And then rising out of the water is a massive fucking head. And you think you're going to get eaten. And it opens its mouth. And it starts to talk. And then it's like, oh, nah, it's fine. It's actually a sea serpent. And they're pretty chill. And then you can ride on it for a little bit and hear some more stories about why dragons went into hide in the first place. And about being attacked by uh, Nettlebrand. And I feel like that would have been great. And I also really love the rat in the in the in the toy plane. Yeah, like, that's awesome. It was so cute. Like what a fun I feel like kids would really be like, Oh, I wish I was small enough to be able to fly a toy yes, plane. Yes, absolutely. That was one of the best things about Stuart Little as a concept. Yes. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Like making things that you play with come to life in a different way. Because it's like, what if you were small enough to live in there? Yeah. What if? Yeah, what if? I just had this one thing that I said I love to look at the trivia of all the movies. There's not there are three trivia items, um, and I want to point this out because I just think it's really funny and sassy. So, so the actor who plays Fire Drake, who, who voices Fire Drake's character, who we really like, um, because he's in The Queen's Gambit and Nanny McPhee and Doctor Who, he is called Thomas Brody Sangster. And there is a trivia item that says, Thomas Brode never met the cast while filming this movie. Now, that I didn't misspeak there because the trivia item above that is, People can't spell Brody right, apparently. What? Look. I don't get it. So, it's because you weren't listening. No. <laughs> so, okay. Do you want me to tell it again so you can laugh? Just just explain to me. What do you mean? Uh, do you still not get it? I, I don't get it. Is it a different person? Because they spelled the No! Name. He just typed... This is a typo! Okay. So, there's a typo. One person has written, Thomas Brode never met the cast while filming this movie. Actor's name is Thomas Brody, yeah. and he's made a typo. And so somebody else, being a dick, has written, as a fact, people can't spell Brody right, apparently. It's, a, it's, a, it's very sad that that is the f- trivia for the film. I just think it's really funny. Well, like, people, people have a lot of time on their hands on the internet to say comments very sassily. Yeah, I just... I people, re- people have a lot of time to be sassy on the internet. I think that's really funny. I don't yeah. understand why you don't think it's funny. Because you've always been more into the trivia than me. Yeah, but this isn't trivia. That's not a trivia item. I know. But it's kind of funny that I didn't get it. And now I get it. Okay. Um. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want to read a little bit because um, I want to emphasize the complete change of personality and character of Ben from the book to Ben in the film. 
Ben in the film is like this kind of like I'm a bad person because I steal because my parents are dead and I'm sad and no one likes me and like what a dragon no that's lame I'm scared but in the book he is like <sighs> the dragon had never seen a human being at close quarters before from everything the rat and sorrel had told him he imagined them as looking different very different he doesn't smell of humans at all sorrel growled she had recovered from her fright and was inspecting the boy suspiciously, although from a safe distance. He stinks of mice, she added. That's why I didn't smell him. Yes, that'll be it. The boy took no notice of her. He raised his hand, a bare hand with no growing fur on it, and pointed at Firedrake. It's a dragon, he whispered. A real-life dragon. He gave Firedrake an uncertain smile. The dragon cautiously stretched his long neck out towards the boy and sniffled, sniffed. Sol was right. He did smell of mass dropping, mouse droppings. But there was something else as well. A strange smell. The same smell that hung in the air outside. The smell of human beings. Of course it's a dragon, said Sorrel crossly. And what are you? The boy turned to look at her in surprise. Oh, wow, he exclaimed. You're quite something too. Are you an extraterrestrial? Sorrel proudly stroked her silky beard. I'm a brownie. Can't you see that? A what? A brownie, repeated Sorrel impatiently. Typical. You humans may be able to tell a cat from a dog, but that's about all. You look like a giant squirrel, the boy said, grinning. Now, that is still an unrealistic reaction of any person to have of a dragon, but to me, it is much more interesting than some sort of person just being like, Oh, I'm going to get on this dragon's back because I've robbed a store and I need to get away quickly yeah. and that's totally going to work fine. Also, I really hated Sorrel's character design. I don't understand, like, just, you know, in that she says she stroked her beard and I don't understand what the obsession is with making... Um, Sexy females. Like, yeah, it, she has, like, a hips and, like, a nice curvy body. And, yeah, and, and a chest somehow, but no nipples. God forbid she have nipples. And it's just, like, weird because... Um, I don't under, like, it's like they're afraid that people won't get that she's a girl. Because it's so and important. she doesn't look overtly feminine. They have to be separate. Yeah. Men and women are separate. They are different things. I don't know. That's all I have to say about it. Yep. I think it's pretty clear how we felt. I mean, pff, I was pretty, like, the book is underwhelming. Yeah. And to then watch a film that can't even bring that to life and is even more shit. Like, the film is more shit than the book. You don't have to read the book. You can if you want to. It'll be fine. Especially if you've got young children. Reading it to them out loud and having a good laugh together could be really enjoyable. Yeah, cause, because but, I, because we're going to read out loud to our children, I think that it could be a good book to work our way through. Yeah, I'd probably read this out loud to, like, a five-year-old. Depends. Because it does depend on their reading level. And like, That kid will be a genius. Well, yeah, but I think that, you know, six, seven, eight, nine would be good to read out loud so but they, they can read them they can't they just read themselves i i don't know i'm not around children i don't know what they reading do reading out loud i would i i love i love being read out loud to you i got read out loud to till sixth grade yeah that's fine you american all right revamp remake retire ready one two three retire, retire. shock obviously um next week we will be doing a completely different shift um, this episode was part of our 2021 season, um, episode two, I believe. Next week we'll be doing Disobedience as part of our season two female-led literature and film. Yes. 
Great. Do you have anything else you want to add, Brianna? Disobedience is written by Naomi Alderman, who's a fantastic writer. Naomi Alderman. Might be Naomi. Either way, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I read The Power by her a couple of years ago, and it's one of my favorite books of all time. Oh, she wrote The Power? Yeah. Cool. I'm into it. Dig it. Very different genres. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more than halfway through it. It is um, a very different kind of book. So it's set in a Jewish community in um, the UK. Yeah. And um, it does feature bisexual or lesbian characters. Lesbians! And it is very... It's beautiful prose. Just really stunning, beautiful prose. This podcast has led us on such interesting journeys. Mm. Mm. Cool. Anything else you want to say? Homunculus homunculus thank you so much for listening to chapter one take two we're on facebook instagram twitter uh, chapter one take two at outlook.com ch1 tk2 check out our patreon page check out our live show coming up in march hope you're well and we will see you next time bye bye <laughs> i know